thank you, thank you, thank you for being here this beautiful Palm Sunday, and he is the same God, right? That song was so powerful. Hallelujah, he is the same God. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ashley, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the pleasure and daunting task of closing out our series on Moses. Over the last 12 weeks, you have bared with us as we talked about lessons in the wilderness and the timeless lessons that we've learned from Moses's life. And for me, Moses was someone who lived obediently and selflessly for God and others. His life started in uncertainty, born under the threat of death to a Levite woman because he was of Hebrew nationality. Moses, Moses being a little more than three months old, he became a refugee. His mother fearing that he would be killed due to a power-hungry, tyrannical king plan to wipe out all Hebrew males that were born. His mother placed him in a basket along the Nile riverbank in the reeds to conceal him. But God had a bigger plan for Moses' life. Rescued by a Hebrew slave woman and then nursed by his mother and raised by Pharaoh's daughter, he grew up as a member of Pharaoh's house with excess to riches and all the power and privilege that came along with it. One day, Moses was awakened to the harsh realities of his people, the Hebrew people. They were being subjected to harsh labor and oppressive governmental structure. In Exodus 1-4, it says, the Hebrew people's lives were bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And all their harsh labor, it says, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. This broke Moses' heart. As he watched his people working, he saw an Egyptian being beaten, and he decided to respond and lash out, and he killed that man. It was then that Moses became a murderer, fleeing from Egypt for his life, from privilege to fugitive. He lived his life in obscurity for decades where his character and leadership abilities were developed. Out shepherding a flock one day, he received a divine call from a burning bush, the cell phone of his day. That call would change his life and the lives of generations to come. From the banks of the Nile into the wilderness to the top of Mount Sinai, just right outside the promised land, Moses models for us what it's like to live with the end in mind and eternity in our hearts. And that's the title of our sermon today, our last lesson in the wilderness. Later this year, I turn 40, although I'm 85 in my heart, and I've been processing what it means to truly live while also having the end and eternity in mind. As I get older, and maybe this is true for you all as well, my mortality has become a greater reality. 
As we said at Ash Wednesday service, remember you are dust and to dust you shall return. The saying serves as a reminder that this is not our forever home, praise God. It's not our forever home. However, because it's not our forever home, we must intentionally live and think about what we're doing with the time we've been given how we're going to raise up people to take our place eventually. Famous theologian and pastor and activist Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, a righteous person is one who lives for the next generation. Moses had a supernatural ability given to him by God to be able to serve, love, and care for people in the present while also keeping people's future in mind. A big part of living with the end in mind for Moses and for us is raising up and preparing the way for generations to come. This is a picture of my family, some of them, I should say, outside of Texas Roadhouse. When you live in Virginia and you're somewhere in those southern states, you go to Texas Roadhouse, okay? No judgment. That's right, they have good bread. We've got some cousins, some aunties and uncles. My mom's in there somewhere. Anyway, this picture was taken a few years ago when they went out to celebrate my great aunt Ruth. She's in the middle there, her, her birthday. By the way, she turned 99 earlier in February. And I'm not in this picture because they like to party without me. That's a sermon for another day. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter, but in this picture, there are five to six generations. And today, as we talk about living with the end in mind and eternity in our hearts, we're going to focus on what it looks like to raise up generations for the Lord. And we're going to use Moses' life to do it. All of us in this room are part of a generation. We're all recipients of the negative and the positive side effects of how the generations lived before us. So it's important that we talk about these things. Okay, fun fact. As I was preparing for this sermon, I was surprised to find out, maybe some of you have already thought about this, but this church is made up of seven, you heard me right, seven generations Seven generations currently make up our church family. Isn't that amazing? We are truly a multi-generational church, and it's such a blessing. It's such a blessing that we get to partake in the wisdom of generations before us. And this weekend, we, we lost a mother in our church, the oldest living member at our church, Allie Heron, 104, passed away. And she is someone that modeled raising up the generations. Many of you were taught by her in Sunday school. She left a legacy behind. And so we want to honor her life. She was a part of the generations of this church. And so if you're wondering where you fall in generationally, here's a list of the generations. I'm not going to go through them all. These are the last seven generations. We're all here in this room. Some of us are hanging out with the kids, but we're here. Just like us, Moses had the task of leading and raising up many generations. So how do we duplicate what he did? Keeping both our earthly mortality and our heavenly reality in mind is an essential piece. 
And to help us discuss this and break this down, I've created what I hope to be a helpful acronym, or maybe not so helpful. If it's not helpful, don't tell me. Just keep that to yourself. (laughs) MOSES is the acronym. So let's get into it. MOSES, mentoring, offering life, supplication and prayer, exalting new leaders, and sacrificial living. Mentoring. I grew up with a lot of aunts. My great aunt Betty raised me. She was the youngest of 13. From her, I learned many things. She was selfless in so many ways, but practically, she made sure that I knew how to grocery shop, that I used my manners, and that I was in church consistently. Another aunt, another one of my pillars of faith, my aunt Helen, she never met a stranger. That woman could talk and talk and talk. But my aunt Helen, she was intentional with her words. From her, I learned how to be intentional in my conversations. My great aunt Ruth, who you saw in the picture earlier, she taught and still teaches me the importance of service. She also taught me to wear pantyhose to church. Again, I said I was from the South, and when you're in the South, you wear pantyhose to church. Up until a few years ago, she was still taking hot meals to neighbors. She was visiting folks younger than her in the retirement home. From her, I learned service. And for me, mentoring is made up of two things, sharing wisdom and being willing to apply wisdom that is shared to our lives. I think we see this example of mentoring throughout Scripture, but we also see it in the relationship between Jethro and Moses. You are familiar with that. In Exodus 18, we find Moses using an inefficient way to lead his people. And Jethro so nicely tells him, hey, Moses, you got to do something differently or you kill yourself. Nicely. Direct. It's helpful. And then Moses responds willingly to this. He responds willingly and he applies the advice that Jethro gives. This added to Moses' ability to have longevity in ministry and life. Let's be a community that's willingly and prayerfully sharing wisdom and applying it with one another. Mentoring ensures that we're sharing the blessing of God's wisdom and equipping the next generation on how to live. Next is the O, offering life. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time on the O because it's really important. Moses began his life under threat of death and being hidden in reeds when we read scripture. My question to you is who from another generation is God asking you to pull out of the reeds and offer life to today? I believe that we partner with Jesus in offering life in three ways. That's love and obedience, restoration, and liberation. Love and obedience means loving God and loving others and being obedient to do what he's asked us to do. And Moses, in his last days, had to be reminded of this. He also had to remind people of the same thing. Deuteronomy 30, 19 through 20, Moses tells the Israelites this. 
This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Just a little before this passage, the people were being warned that life would be taken away from them if they were to choose anything other than total obedience to God. Even though our culture may tell us differently, love and obedience to God to Jesus is how generations continue to be fruitful and live an abundant life. We must be loving and be obedient to God. Let's move on. To continue offering life for any duration of time, we will have to partner with Jesus in the work of restoration. Deuteronomy 29, 22 through 23 says, the next generation Your children will come after you, and the foreigner who comes from a far country will be appalled when they see the widespread devastation, how God made the whole land sick. They'll see a fire-blackened wasteland of brimstone and salt flats, nothing planted, nothing growing, not so much as a blade of grass anywhere. I think that in many ways we are living, we are well on our way to leaving a fire-blackened wasteland to future generations. This is in part due to our unwillingness to restore broken things like our broken methodologies and systems and structures and our broken ways of thinking. I'm not saying that past generations didn't or don't love Jesus or don't do good things because we all know that they do and they have. What I'm saying is that every generation sins. The church is full of sinners. I'm one of them who have made mistakes that have left a bad taste in people's mouth and unintentionally tarnished the image of the church. But it wasn't just the mistakes themselves that tarnished the image of the church, but it was the churches, and I'm talking big C, unrepentant hearts and failure to acknowledge and apologize for harm's cost that has led to many believers to abandon our churches. If you're wondering why younger generations are running from the church, and I do believe what Nick said, the church is not dying The church will never die because it's of the Lord. It's his creation, not ours, praise God. But there are younger generations missing from our churches because of this. Failure of the church to respond in a godly way. It's time to restore and rebuild so that what can be full so that church can be fully what it needs to be right now in the in the present. Jesus had in mind for the generations that they would inherit beauty, not devastation. And sometimes we create devastation because of our selfishness. Let's move on to liberation. 
Justice, advocacy, and deliverance are a big part of liberation, and liberation is a big part of Jesus' heart. After all, he came to liberate us from sin and death, amen? We know that God is a God of liberation and deliverance. After God appeared to Moses in the wilderness, he gave him a message for the Israelites that would let them know that God was about to act on their way to provide freedom. You can read about that in Exodus 3, 16 through 17. God's on, God goes on to deliver the Israelites through mighty acts of judgment, giving them physical freedom. But as they prepared across the Red Sea, we see that mental and emotional freedom had not yet been fully realized by the people. We know this because as God is giving them their freedom, pointing them in the direction of deliverance, they are begging Moses to go back to bondage. Back to bondage because that's all they knew. In Exodus 14, 11 through 12, you can read that there. Here's my point. To raise up the next generation, we have to realize that at times, the fight for physical freedom comes before mental and emotional freedom. And at times, physical, mental, and emotional deliverance take place at the same time. We can't just be about sharing the good news with our mouths when we're living in a world where people are living in physical bondage. A church that can be seen advocating on behalf of others with the truth of the gospel and fighting for justice and liberation is highly valued by this younger generation and it's highly valued by God. Justice should be something that the church is characterized by, not injustice. And moving forward, we must boldly name injustice. This includes racism and sexism and sanctity of life for both babies and women. This includes discussions on poverty. This includes discussions on climate change. This includes discussions on gun control. Earlier this week, we had another school shooting. In this country, we are killing generations of people because of our selfishness and our inability to dive deeper into harder discussions. And this falls on the backs of the church. We can no longer deny reality and expect younger generations to partake in the church. Okay, I took you on a rabbit trail. I'll get back to the Moses acronym. Here we go. S, supplication and prayer. The people of Israel, in humility, were crying out to God. They'd had enough. They were at their lowest point. You know, it takes humility to admit you're at your lowest point and cry out to God, right? They cried out to God in desperation for deliverance, and it says the Lord heard them in Exodus 2.24. Also in Exodus 34.29, Scripture says that after Moses was speaking with the Lord, that his face was radiant, radiant from having been in conversation with God. It is my hope and prayer that we would be a people so steeped in the Lord's presence from prayer 
that there would be a noticeable difference in the way our city looks and the way that we look and act. And that the changes would be of such great magnitude that people would not be able to deny that it is Jesus, that it is God, his presence that is bringing about change in our city and in our hearts. Supplication and prayer is the essential thing that we need to practice when we are talking about raising up the next generations. And Cedar Mill is passionate about prayer. Every other Tuesday, our staff team meets and prays. The elders spend significant time in prayer. We have a prayer team that has been praying, and we have come alive to this renewed dedication to be praying in the season, not just for you all, but for our church and for our city and for our world. And so it's with that in mind that we have opened up a prayer room. And this prayer room is a dedicated space solely for prayer. The staff and the elder team have been in there praying and they have dedicated that space to the Lord. And we hope that you will take advantage of it. It is just underneath the chapel. Please check it out after the gathering and set some time aside this week during Holy Week, the official opening, to go and take advantage of the stations that we set so that you can connect more deeply with God. We know that this room is not the only place you could pray, right? We hope this room is not the only place that you will be praying. But this room is a place that has been created to draw you, to help you draw closer to God, to be able to pray for our world, our missionaries, our city. Prayer is and will continue to be the most powerful tool when it comes to raising up the generations. Slide 20, slide 20, that's my slide, look at me. It is slide 20. But the E is exalting new leaders. And a big part of exalting new leaders is succession planning. Those of you who are in the business world, you know about succession planning. Succession planning isn't talked a lot about in our church, but I do think it is modeled biblically of what it looks like to create a plan for a new leader, a new generation of people to take your spot. It's important for you to be looking out and looking for new people to replace you. You will not live forever. There's a great scene in The Lion King where Mufasa takes Simba and shows him the kingdom he will inherit and oversee one day. Do you guys know what scene I'm talking about? Mufasa tells Simba that a king's time, I'm trying to get James Earl Jones, right? A king's time, I'm not going to do it. A king's time as ruler rises and falls like the sun. One day, Simba, the sun will set on my time here and will rise with you as the new king. Mufasa knew that he wouldn't live forever, so he needed a plan to raise up a leader, his son, to take his place. Our very own Dr. John Johnson, in his book, Rooted Leadership, sums it up this way. 
Sadly, some leaders are like aging athletes who never yield to the next generation because they are too deeply attached. In some cases, they do not prepare the next generation, the next generation's leadership, either because they are sure no one can replace them or because they do not see shaping as a priority. Moses and God prioritize shaping and exalting new leadership, which is why we see Joshua's rise to leadership. Moses in Numbers 27 established Joshua's leadership with the Israelites. And God did the same thing in Joshua 3, 7. It says this, and the Lord said to Joshua, this is God talking, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. We have to be intentional when it comes to discerning the time to step aside and the time to raise up new leadership to take our place. Let's inspire and empower the generations coming up to live into their gifting and calling so that they can make a positive impact on the world and on the church. Young people, particularly millennials who are not so young anymore in Generation Z, I want to speak to you for a moment. I want you to know that Jesus cares for you, and that he loves you. He loves you with a never-ending, unconditional, non-toxic, non-manipulative kind of love that doesn't seek to abuse you, but the kind of love that ignites passion and purpose and well-being, not just for you, but for everyone that you will encounter. He has a purpose for your life. He wants you to be a part of the church. It's because of his great love for you that he's extended an invitation to participate in what he's doing to rebuild and to restore and to love on the people in Portland and throughout the world. Cedar Mill, I want to partner with you all to be salt and light in this city and the world, no matter our age, but particularly for the younger generations in these days. None of us can simply live for ourselves. Together, we can, we must partner with Jesus in creating a brighter future for the generations to come. The last S, To sacrificially live for the next generation means that we may have to bypass taking an inheritance that is rightfully ours or that we feel we've been entitled to. To live sacrificially is to live selflessly. Moses was called by God to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land, but he did this knowing that he would not be able to enter that land himself. Can you imagine? In Deuteronomy 34, 4, we read that the Lord said to Moses, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
when I said, I will give it to you and your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over in and into it. Sacrificial living begs us to live unselfishly, knowing that we may never see the fruit of our sacrifice this side of heaven. Sacrificial living is the crescendo of living with the end in mind and eternity in our hearts. Hebrew 11, 25, 26 says that Moses, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. He sacrificed for the people that were coming after him. No matter whether they would be grateful or ungrateful, whether they would say thank you or not, he sacrificed for them. You know who's even better than Moses at living with the end and eternity in mind? Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross, he had our past, our future, and our present in mind. Today is Palm Sunday, as has been mentioned, and as we draw closer to the end of this Lenten season, today marks the beginning of Holy Week. And centuries ago, in humility, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey as what would be known as his triumphal entry. And what used to happen was people would wave palm leaves to honor in a military general, but God was turning that scenario upside down. And he was saying, I am humble. I am lowly. I'm different than any leader you've ever had before. In Luke's gospel, chapter 19, verse 41, we're told that as he approached Jerusalem, he wept over the city. Jesus was moved to weeping because he was aware of what the future would have in store for people who would not, who could not accept his message. He was also aware of the people's refusal to partake in the peace that he was offering them presently, right then and now. Right now, in this moment, what is Jesus trying to offer you? Is Jesus trying to offer you peace and you're refusing to take it? Is Jesus trying to offer you something right now and you're refusing, trying to tell you something right now and you're refusing to listen? May our ears, may your ears and your heart be open to the unconditional love, restoration, and liberation that Jesus is trying to offer you right now. His cross, praise God, covers your present and your future and your past. Choose life. Choose him this day if you haven't already. Make a choice for Jesus. On this Palm Sunday, we're being asked to live holy while being wholly devoted to Jesus who is our hope. Before I close, I want to take this opportunity to invite you to our Good Friday service this Friday. 
at 7 p.m. Usually, after a message on the first Sunday of the month, we take communion together as a church family. But we're going to hold off on doing that, and we're going to take that on Good Friday as we reflect on Jesus' journey to the cross together. This morning, not in place of communion, but as we look ahead to communion, our prayer team is going to be available to the right and the left of the room on these walls here to pray with you. And if God has been stirring things in your heart this morning, if you decided to rededicate your life or dedicate your life to the Lord for the first time, or even if you've got this thing that has been laying on you heavy, this burdensome thing that you've been wanting and needing prayer for, that you're tired of carrying, go and get prayer. Allow our prayer team to pray for you. You don't have to journey in this life alone. You don't have to carry burdens alone. Let our prayer team stand in the gap for you this morning. They love to do it. They've been blessed by praying for you already, and you don't even know. So as they come and get on the walls and our worship team prays, they'll be there throughout our last few worship songs. Please take advantage of letting them pray for you and let me pray for you right now. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh. We thank you that you are the humble king. We thank you that you came not only to liberate us physically, but liberate us spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you love us unconditionally in spite of all our flaws. We thank you that the thriving of your church does not depend upon us, Lord. We thank you that you are powerful. Lord, I pray for all the generations of this church. Lord, I pray that you speak to them even now, that you give them wisdom to navigate the season of life that they're in, that you put people before them that you are speaking to raise up, Lord, that you are preparing to raise up to take that leadership position, whether it be in the church, whether it be in their business, whether it be um, in the school that they are serving with, Lord. We thank you for the opportunities that you provide us to mentor, to offer life, to live sacrificially, to pray, Lord, and to be with you and one another. We thank you for this community, and we trust and we ask that you will continue to do big, and mighty things to raise up future generations. Amen.